Good morning to you again. Good to see you all here this morning. Today's sermon text is coming from the book of Genesis, chapter 4. We're going to resume our study in the book of Genesis. And in Genesis, chapter 4, we're going to read the first 16 verses. So when you find Genesis, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, would you please stand for reading God's word? Okay, Genesis chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me away from the ground and from your face, and I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Let's pray. Father, we come wanting to give you thanks this morning for um, making your truth available to us. Lord, thank you for your spirit within us, enabling us to not only hear or not merely hear with our physical ears, but to understand, to appropriate your truth. Lord, we pray, empower us that we may live it out. We see in our text today an example of a faithful man of God and able and an example of a wicked man in Cain. Lord, enable us to learn from these things so that we better understand how to walk worthy of the calling that you have called us to. That we may better understand what it means to bear your image and what it means to have as a mandate the command to glorify you And Lord, may the desire to glorify You be real in us and 
be great in us. By your Spirit, let it be so, we pray, for your honor and glory. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, we return to our study in Genesis this morning, and um, we have learned uh, hopefully several things, but one, uh, a couple things in particular. We have learned, right, that we are created by God and for God. We're made in the image of God, bearing His image, and we're made to glorify Him. Or to say that just a, uh, a little different way, maybe in more familiar terminology. We are made to honor God. That's what we're put here in this world for. We are to um, exhibit, put on exhibit for the world, um, His character. So our lives should point to Him. That's a high calling. And that's the calling that, uh, in one sense, you could say, God has given to uh, every human being. Every human being is placed here to glorify God. But especially as Christians, we, we know and we understand that um, our life is all about Him. It is all about the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So we are here to do His will for His honor and glory. Now, that's, of course, not the way that most people think. That's not the way that the world thinks. There is a uh, famous poem um, that I think captures well... Um, the mindset of the world. The poem is called Invictus by William Ernest Henley. Uh, and Invictus translated means unconquered. Unconquered. It's not long, so I'm going to read it uh, for you in, in, in its entirety. Listen to the autonomy, the voice of autonomy here, um, and pride. Out of the night that covers me, Black as the pit from pole to pole. I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquered soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Some of you may recall, as I do, the last couple of lines, uh, the last few lines of that uh, poem were the last words of Timothy McVeigh. Um, ironically enough, as his life was taken, he made that assertion. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Well, I read it this morning because Cain is the epitome of uh, the Invictus, probably. Um, here we have an example of a life seemingly just given over to 
evil, wickedness, rebellion against God. And for us, one of the things we're going to notice here, and uh, we'll keep on noticing, Lord willing, as we move along through Genesis, um, is that the effects of the fall continue to manifest. I, I, I remember years ago, and this, this um, I used to uh, listen to sometimes on the radio to uh, Lester Roloff. I don't know if any of you are familiar with Lester Roloff. He's gone now, but uh, preacher and... and uh, I always kind of didn't agree with everything he said, but I always kind of enjoyed listening to him. And um, he preached one time uh, on, I guess it was on this text, I don't recall specifically, but he was talking about Cain and Abel. And that was a big part of his message and, and sin, you know, the effects of sin. So he kept using that phrase, and it stuck with me. He kept using that phrase, you know, the, and he was old-time country-style preacher, but he kept using the phrase, you know, the chickens have come home to roost. And, of course, he started out talking about Adam and Eve and how they rebelled against God and then moved from there, of course, to Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, the chickens, come home to roost. And then moved on to other examples, the chickens come home to roost. The the whole idea was sin has far-reaching consequences. It has devastating effects. It's like ripples. You, You throw a rock in a... Uh, a, a, a pool where the water's just like crystal. You throw a rock in there, and what happens? All these little ripples span out, and that's what happens with sin. And that's what we see in the first um, part of the Bible. Adam and Eve rebel against God, against God's rule, and they suffer consequences. And we've been, we've been talking about that the past few weeks uh, prior to our, our little break anyway for uh, Palm Sunday and for, uh, for Resurrection Sunday. But prior to that, over the several weeks, we've been talking about their sin and the consequences of it. Well, we're going to see that that just continues on with their progeny. So that's really the, the, the main point for this morning and I think the main point of this text. The effects of the fall continue to manifest and here, specifically we could say, in the wickedness of Cain. The effects of the fall continue to manifest in the wickedness of Cain. But, as I already mentioned, you can, you can just take that on through the Old Testament and right up to our present day. The effects of the fall continue to manifest. Alright, so, verse 1. Now, Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Um, the term, now I'm reading from the English Standard Version here, and they still use the, uh, um, translate the term new here, just like the, the old King James, which is correct. I mean, it's what the, the Hebrew word means. It's the, the term yada, um, and it just means to know. To know, uh, in its you know, most basic sense or literal sense. Um, a lot of you probably have said yada yada yada, right? You didn't even you didn't even know that you knew Hebrew, but you but you were spe- you were speaking Hebrew. Um, <laughs> you weren't making sense, but you were speaking Hebrew, or we weren't when we do that. But um, it just means to know, right? So it's used as an it's an idiom here, and and I'm only pointing this out because this is this is very important as you go through the Bible because it is a biblical idiom, not only in Old Testament uh, Hebrew 
but also in, in the Greek, the, the Greek of the New Testament as well. Um, so, you know, you get over, the, over in the New Testament, for example, which was originally penned in Greek, and, and you find similar language. Um, Joseph knew um, Mary, you know, and so that kind of thing. So what it's talking about, it's just an idiom, and it's talking about sexual relations, all right, between, um, between husband and wife in this case. Adam knew his wife. Eve. Doesn't, it doesn't mean that they were introduced. And, you know, uh, how, how you doing? Now we know each other. Um, it's, it's referring to, to uh, sexual relations. Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain. This is really, I'm not going to spend much time on this, but I'm just, you know, thinking about it. This is really a milestone, isn't it? you got the first, the first child produced. Cain. And remember the mandate where Adam and Eve are commanded, be fruitful and multiply. So, so now it's beginning. And, and uh, boy, you know, do they have their work cut out for them because they're, they're, they're the only persons on the earth. And God says, fill the earth, right? Fill the earth and subdue it. Be fruitful and multiply. And we're still working today on, on uh, fulfilling that mandate. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. That's an interesting uh, sentence uh, quote, and it can be translated two or three different ways. It makes it even more interesting. But um, one translation I was looking at that, uh, that I like as well is... Um, the Net Bible, that's easier to remember if you, know, you think in terms of the Internet, right? The Net, the net Bible. It, it's, it stands for a New English translation, uh, but it's a good translation. The Net Bible. Words it this way. I have created a man with the Lord. Because that, phrase can, uh, that term can be translated, created. I have created a man with the Lord. It can also be translated, I have created a man like the Lord, meaning like the Lord created us, now I've created a man. So it's, it's interesting. Uh, and I'm just pointing that out because I think it kind of uh, highlights probably Eve's fascination and excitement. I've created a man like the Lord, like the Lord did. God created Adam and God created me and now I've created a man. Or again, to read it in the ESV, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. There's another significant thing here, um, I think, uh, that it's probable that Eve is thinking Cain is the fulfillment to Genesis 3.15. Remember Genesis 3.15 when God is cursing the serpent? I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring or seed and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And now Eve, rejoicing at the birth of Cain, says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. She's singing, this, this is the seed. This is the seed that is going to crush the head of the serpent. She's probably thinking here. And boy, how wrong she is, if that's what she was thinking. 
And again, verse 2, she bore his brother Abel. Now, uh, just another interesting side note, but um, John Calvin suggests that they were likely twins because there's only one conception mentioned, but two births. So uh, he concludes from that that, or at least thinks perhaps, you know, they were born twins. She conceived, she bore Cain, and then she bore Abel. But either way, um, Cain is the eldest, whether it was by seconds or minutes or whether it was by years. Um, Cain is the eldest. And then he has a younger brother, Abel. Verse 2, she bore his brother, Abel. And then Moses here, the author, tells us a couple things about them. Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. Now, again, interesting, right off the bat, you've only got, uh, at least as far as we know here, you've only got four people on the earth. Uh, There's probably more by the time they're grown up and and doing their occupations because Adam and Eve continue to have children. But the first four that we have mention of here, and, and you've already got different occupations going on. Abel's a shepherd, a keeper, interesting word, keeper of sheep. In other words, he he has sheep that he has to care for, that he has to look after, that he's responsible for. He's a keeper of sheep. But Cain is a worker of the ground. By the way, neither one is better than the other. They're just different. Um, Abel's a shepherd. Cain is a farmer. He's into agriculture. And Abel, I'm sorry, verse 3, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. So now, um, there's already a, a, uh, some, a form of worship being established here. And they're bringing offerings to the Lord. And we don't know if this is the first time or maybe they've been doing this for some time, but then all of a sudden this happens. We we don't know. Um, Possibly the first time. And so Abel brings from the the flock, in fact, um, from the firstborn of his flock, suggestion here that he's bringing the best, and Cain brings from his crop as an offering to the Lord. But now, Abel is accepted and Cain rejected. Verse verse 4, And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, or respect. In other words, God respected respected the offering of Abel. The Lord had regard or respect for Abel and his offering. But, verse 5, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. That is, God did not respect, and therefore did not receive Cain's offering. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Let me come back to that in a moment. Let's just 
raise a couple questions here. Number one, why is Abel's offering accepted? And then, of course, the obvious question that follows that, right? Why was Cain's rejected? And sometimes you hear people put forth uh, different ideas about the type of offering it was and this and that. Um, uh, I, I really don't... I, I really think the answer is found in Hebrews 11. Um, I, I think the light that the New Testament sheds on this um, is the answer. And I'll go ahead and point it out now and maybe um, come back to it in a little bit. But in Hebrews 11, which, by the way, is the chapter that uh, uh, is often referred to as the, the Hall of Faith, right? You've got a long list here of the heroes of the faith um, from the Old Testament. And, of course, Abel... Among them. Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, this is verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent or acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. That's a... a, uh, That sheds a little more light. And I think I, I would say that's a stronger way of saying God regarded his offering. And in Genesis, Moses says, God regarded his offering or respected his offering, but but not Cain's. Well, what does that mean exactly? Well, he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. So, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. And again, people have speculated and said, well, it's it's probably more acceptable because it was a, it was an animal. It was a, you know, of course later that would be a, a big part of the, um, major part of the, uh, of the priesthood, Levitical priesthood, and the the, the Old Testament um, worship, animal sacrifices and blood had to be shed. And we know from the Old Testament and from the writer of Hebrews um, that without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. And so all that sounds good, but I I, I think there's something more here. Um, to it than, than just that. In other words, I, I don't think I don't think that God reject or, or accepted rather Cain's. Uh, I'll get it right here in a minute. I don't think that God accepted Abel's offering because of the type offering it was. In other words, because it was an animal, and rejected Cain's offering because of the type it was. It was not a blood sacrifice. It was a fr- fruit of the field. I don't think that's the case. I think the answer is in those first two words in Hebrews 11.4. By faith. In fact, you read Hebrews 11, and that's the point he's making throughout the chapter. In fact, he says in verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it, the people of old received their commendation. And then you get down to verse 6, Hebrews eleven six, And without faith, it is impossible to please Him, that is, to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who Seek Him. 
And boy, we could spend some time on that. But let's, let's just state the main point there that the writer of Hebrews is making, is that those things happen by faith. By faith. And it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable sacrifice to God. So I, I think the reason Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God is because he had faith in God. He believed in God. Now, think about this for a moment. Um, in fact, let's just go to the second question. Why was Cain's offering rejected? Because it wasn't a blood sacrifice? Because it was through the Well, again, I don't think so. I think it's because Cain lacked faith. No faith. The writer of Hebrews explicitly tells us, by faith, Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice. That suggests that Cain didn't offer an acceptable sacrifice because his offering was not an offering of faith. Faith. Now, here's what I was going to go to. Let's just think about this a minute because you might be asking, wait a minute, there's dialogue here. I mean, they actually have dialogue with God. So surely Cain believed in God. (laughs) Right? I mean, everybody on the planet at that time believed in God. There was no such thing as an atheist uh, uh, because, you know, they they all, Adam and Eve knew God, Cain and Abel spoke with God, um, dialogued with God, brought offerings to God. And, And that's another thing. Why would Cain, if Cain was an atheist, if he didn't have faith, why would he bring an offering to God? The reason I'm throwing those things out there is because of this. There's, there's more to faith. In terms of salvation, in terms of being acceptable to God, there's more to faith than just believing that He exists or even knowing that He exists. In fact, in James, James says, even demons believe and tremble. James says, you believe God is one. I mean, I think he's referring to the, the, the Hebrew prayer there, the invocation, the, the Shema. God is one. James says, you believe God is one? In other words, you, you hold to orthodox doctrine? Good. James says, you do well. Good. That's good. But consider this. Even demons believe and tremble. So wait a minute. Demons believe there's a God. That's right. Matter of fact, they know. They know. They know there's a God. They know there's one true God. God is one. They know Jesus Christ is Lord overall and that there's no other Savior. And they tremble. And if you want to see evidence of that, read the Gospels. And sometimes just at Jesus' presence... They would fall down before him. The, the, the persons that they were uh, possessing would fall down before him, and the demons would cry out, Have you come to torment us before the time? They tremble at him. They know he's real, and they tremble at him. 
Okay, so they have faith. No. No. Not if you're talking about saving faith. If you're talking about faith that renders you acceptable to God. You say, well, that's, that's tough. You know, James says, believe, essentially, that, that is to have faith, right? Yeah, and James says, demons believe and tremble, right? So they, they believe and they fear God. Yes, they believe in the sense that they know He's real and they fear Him, but I'll tell you what they don't do. And this is essential to biblical faith, saving faith. They don't trust Him. In fact, I'm going to give you a few things. They don't trust Him. They don't love Him. They don't obey Him. Not, not willingly. They obey Him because they don't have a choice. In fact, Jesus would command them, right? Come out. Come out of that man or come out of that woman or that child. And the demons would obey. They didn't have a choice. But it was not a willing obedience. Because they didn't trust Jesus. They didn't love Jesus. They didn't have any desire to honor Jesus. They only obeyed because He is absolutely Lord and they had no other choice. Now, I, I know I spent a little time on that, but that's to make this point. I think when the writer of Hebrews says, by faith Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice, all that's built into that. In other words, Abel loved God. Abel trusted God. Abel wanted to live in obedience to God. Abel wanted to honor God. That was his mindset because that's the mindset of someone that has faith. Cain, on the other hand, had no such desires. And that should be evident to us by the time we get through this passage. And I would suggest that is why Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's rejected. It all boils down to faith. Faith. Saving faith. Biblical faith. Trusting God. Loving God. Willing obedience to God. That's evidence of somebody being in right relationship with God, being made acceptable to Him. Somebody who's unwilling to do those things, who, who's, I mean, and they may claim, they may say, oh yeah, I believe there, there's a God, and they may be uh, sincere in that. Sure, I, because again, even demons believe and tremble, right? And so someone may say, I believe in God, and I believe there's a hell, and on and on and on. I believe Jesus is Lord. Okay, but do they love Him? Do they obey Him? Do they seek to honor Him? Do we willingly obey Him? Well, in Cain's case, I would say no. None of those things are applicable here. And we see what um, flows out of that evil heart. Verse 5. But... For Cain and his offering, he, that is God, had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. That's, that's not a, a, you know, of course, there, there again is another idiom, his face fell, meaning his, his uh, 
I, I like the old King James will use the word countenance. His countenance fell. His, the expression, I mean, you, you could look at it, you, you, you know, you can do that with people. You can see a lot of times, we, we all do that. Uh, something goes sour, goes bad, doesn't go our way or whatever, and our whole countenance just, <laughs> it falls. And that's what happened with Cain when he realized he wasn't accepted by God. And what was the result? Did, did, his, did his head drop in humility? Did he cry out? God, show me. I, I want to be accepted by you. I want to be accepted. I want to honor you. I want to bring offerings from a heart that seeks to glorify you. No, that's not what he did. He was very angry. He got mad at God. I'm going to tell you something. A lot, a lot of people talk, I would say flippantly. I've heard, I've heard a lot of Christians do this. And I don't mean to be critical here. I just, I'm just mean this as a warning. A lot of people talk about getting angry at God and, and, as I said, even speak flippantly about it, it seems to me, a lot of times. I don't advise getting angry at God. And I know some people, when they say that, they think, well, I'm just being honest, you know. Well, okay, be honest, but then repent, all right? Don't, don't be mad at God. That's dangerous ground. And, and besides, I mean, there's just absolutely no basis for it. Cain got angry, very angry at God. Because here's the deal, and this is always the deal. He's angry at God for his own wrong. God, why won't you accept me like I am? In other words, I don't like God's standards. God says a broken heart, a contrite spirit, I will not despise. And Cain is basically saying, look, I don't like that. <laughs> and, you, and you need to take me for who I am. I'm the unconquered, the invictus. I'm the master of my own fate. I'm the captain of my own soul. And God, you just need to accept that. That's dangerous ground. So Cain was very angry. And by the way, notice as we're going through this too, the, the grace of God. I mean, why doesn't God just send fire from heaven and <laughs> make ashes out of Cain? Well, we could ask that question of ourselves too, couldn't we? Why didn't God just wipe us out? Well, grace. It's not that we don't deserve it. And it's not that Cain didn't deserve it. Grace. Anyway, you'll notice that as we go through here. God doesn't react that way. He, even, even though he, he does bring a curse, we'll see him momentarily, but uh, even then, He is gracious in His dealings with Cain. So, verse 6, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? And remember back in chapter 3, when God comes to Adam and says, Where are you? And, and I pointed out then, God doesn't ask, questions in order to get information. In other words, he knew exactly where Adam was, and he knows exactly what's going on with Cain better than Cain does. He doesn't ask questions in order to get information. He asks questions for our benefit so that, um, for one thing, so that we can fess up, right? And I mean, this would have been a good chance for, 
came to just uh, repent and fess up to his own prideful heart. So the Lord said, Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. In other words, um, I have a certain way. Now this is the real, you know, my way or the highway thing. I mean, God's got His way. John fourteen six, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but through me. He doesn't say, look, I'm, I'm a way, and there are other ways. And if you want to come another way, that's, you know, you got the right to do that, and you can do that. He doesn't say that. I am the way, he says, and then he goes on to make clear, no one comes to the Father but through me. I'm the only way. Well, it's similar here. God's saying, look, if you do well, will you not be accepted? If you come my way, if you come on my terms, won't you be accepted? And if you do not do well, God issues a warning here. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. I mean, it's a predator. And you can picture like a, a, a lion or, you know, something like that, crouched and ready to pounce. God is using that to picture sin. It's crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. In other words, it wants to eat you up. It wants to devour you. It wants to destroy you. It wants to kill you. If you don't do well, sin is, is like a predator at the door and it wants to devour you. But you must rule over it. So, in spite of Cain's pride here and rebellion, which, by the way, he's, there's no, we don't have any evidence that he repents of, but in spite of that here, um, God is issuing these gracious warnings. Look, just do right. Right? Just do the right thing. Just come, not on your terms, come on my terms, and you know what? You'll be accepted too. And if you don't, if you're not willing to do that, then sin's going to tear you up. I mean, it's going to be crouching at the door waiting for you to devour you. Cain, you must rule over it. Which again... We're, not, we're going to see that there's no evidence that he actually does that, but, but God's telling him, this is what you've got to do. Instead of sin mastering you, you need to learn to master it. In verse 8. So, you're expecting in the next few verses, Cain's going to go out and cry hard and repent and come back and say, God, forgive me, I was just wrong. But that's not what happens. Verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Now, notice this, this, this attitude, this disposition. He won't do right. And first he gets mad at God for it. So he's very angry, Moses says. He's very angry with God for his own unwillingness to do right. And now... Um, 
he's going to further express, because he's, he's already angry at his brother too, but he's going to further express his anger at his brother in the form of murder. The problem here is Cain. It's not Abel and it's certainly not God. But out of envy and out of, uh, you know, just selfishness and greed, he gets mad at Abel. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. He murdered Abel. That's the first murder in human history. Chickens are coming home to roost, right? Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And that's the stone in the pond. And now the ripples are running out. Except you throw a rock in a pond and you sit there and watch the ripples, especially if the pond's big enough, I mean, they're just going to die out. They're going to go so far... And then it's going to smooth out again. That's not what happens with sin. That's not what happens in the biblical narrative. Adam and Eve rebel against God and the ripple effect starts and it just keeps going and going and going and going. Sin has serious and deadly consequences. And you can imagine, we're not even really told here about the grief of Adam and Eve. But can you imagine finding Abel dead? Can you imagine the grief just thinking if we had only not rebelled against God? Then the Lord, this is verse 9, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Famous verse there everybody's heard. And now I guess he's going to interrogate God. Right? God comes asking questions. And now Abel's going to turn it around and say, Am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible? Remember, Abel's the keeper of... Sheep, right? So we've already seen this word earlier in the text. And everybody knows what a shepherd does. You, you, you're responsible for the sheep. And so Cain here is raising the question, am I, respon- am I responsible for my brother? Well, without spending a lot of time on that, let me just say, to a degree, yes. Yes. We are all responsible for the one of for the welfare of one another, to some degree, to, to you know, to whatever degree we can we can help or influence, we are responsible to do that positively. Again, with a view to glorify God. Verse ten, and the Lord said, "What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground." Now you are cursed, and here comes the curse. You are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Isn't it amazing how the guilty... Complain 
And again, let's not leave ourselves out of that. I'm talking about us, all of us, because we all stand guilty before God. We're all sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet, we have a tendency to say, Lord, the consequences of my sin are greater than I can bear. Well, of course they are. And the Lord already told him that, didn't He? Basically, if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. That's what, that's what the Lord was telling him back then. If you're not going to do well, you're going to find yourself in a situation that is more than you can bear. Nevertheless, in response, once again, God is gracious. Not that He takes the curse away. He doesn't take the curse away. But you know what? He, he, could, he could have said this. Um, you know, you're right. Your punishment is greater than you can bear and people are going to be out to kill you. And guess what? Deal with it! <laughs> but, but He doesn't do that. He, he eases it somewhat. Verse 14 Cain goes on to say, Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from, the, from your face. I shall be hidden. And, and by the way, just again, notice the language there. Behold, you have driven me away from your face. Or, you have driven me away from the ground. Well, <laughs> there was a reason. I mean, God, that was the result of Cain's sin. It wasn't that God just arbitrarily showed up one day and said, Look, you're out of here. And get away from my face. Get out of my face. He didn't do that. It was, it was the consequences of Cain's sin. And yet again, he's blaming God. Then the Lord said, oh, well, Cain goes on to say, whoever will, finds me will kill me. In verse 15, then the Lord said to him, not so. And here's, here's where grace once again comes in. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. God actually marked him. How? We don't know. Uh, You know, they didn't have Sharpies back then. But somehow God marked him to keep him from being attacked and killed. Now, that's just pure grace. Because his whole attitude is just rebellion, and God's telling him one thing, and he's doing another. And yet... God keeps bringing grace into the equation. Verse 16, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod. word Nod there means wandering. He settled in the land of wandering east of Eden. And you've got to wonder if he's not... God told him he's going to be a wanderer. He calls this the land of wandering, but even to, to say that he's settled, you've got to wonder if he's not trying to rebel against God in doing that. You're going to be a vagabond, you're going to be a wanderer, and so what's Cain going to do? Settle. All of this is the way of Cain. He doesn't love God. He doesn't trust God. He doesn't Obey God. He thinks he's the master of his own fate. The captain of his own soul. 
That's a delusion that always leads to death. And boy, what a stark example of that in the life of Timothy McVeigh. In 1 John, and I'm going to close with this, 1 John chapter 3. And here's our, and this is going to be short, but here's our application for us, right? 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, certainly the beginning of the gospel, but I wonder here if John is not reaching back all the way to the beginning of the world. In other words, saying, this is the message that God has been putting out from the very start. Love one another. Love your brother. Verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That we should love one another. That's what we're called to do. In fact, that's one of the primary way we're going to glorify God. If it's our desire to glorify God, we're going to do that through loving others who bear His image. Love one another. We should not be like Cain, verse 12 says, who was of the evil one. Or it could just be evil. He was of evil and murdered his brother. So John sets Cain before us and he puts you know, those two rows, those two ways, those two paths. Here's the way of Cain who was, by the way, evil. He was motivated by evil. He was of evil or of the evil one, which, of course, would if that's the correct uh, rendering, would be a reference to Satan. He was of the evil one. That's one way. The other way is to live in willing obedience to Jesus Christ, to come on His terms, to come to God on His terms, Willingly doing what He's instructed us to do. And what has He instructed us to do? Love one another. And John says, that's, that's what it's been from the beginning. That's what it's been from the beginning. In fact, the, the two greatest commandments, right? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the second, love your neighbor as yourself. And the second one is actually an expression of the first. So in other words, if you really love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you will love your neighbor. So John says, we should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So it was out of envy. Out of anger. He was angry with God. He was angry with Abel. And yet, the one who was doing wrong all along was him. The way of Cain. Now, there is one way to be acceptable to God. And that is to come to Him through faith in Jesus Christ. 
trusting in Jesus Christ. And we, if you were here in Sunday school, we talked about what that means, coming, coming to Him through faith. Willing obedience, right? Loving, trusting. Talked a little while ago about that. And just believe, believing, meaning not just mental assent, but loving, trusting, willingly obeying. Coming to God through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the way to be acceptable to God. Would you stand, please? And let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your grace. Just as we saw in this passage, um, Your gracious dealings, even with one who was um, setting himself against You. And throughout the Bible, Lord, we have the story of you intervening in the affairs of men, graciously, graciously providing a Savior for all who will submit and come to you, trusting in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Lord, I pray for all of us in this room, May every heart represented here today be submitted to You. May our desire be toward You. The right way. Through loving, willing faith, trust in Jesus Christ. And through that, may You be honored and glorified. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. We're dismissed.